Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The FT. The government is introducing junior ICEs, but savers are finding it hard to get a good deal in the current market. Prime property is back in demand, so where are the buyers coming from? And is silver the new gold? We look at a metal that has been quietly outshining the competition. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Alice Ross, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. Tanya Paley. Hi. Ellen Kelleher. Hello. And our special studio guest, Adam Chalice, Head of Research at Hamptons International. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, the government announced the introduction of junior ICEs, special savings schemes for children that are tax efficient. Money put into junior ICEs will be owned by the child and will be locked away until adulthood. The new accounts will replace child trust funds, children's savings schemes set up by the previous government that have now been scrapped. However, unlike the child trust funds, junior ICEs will not benefit from government contributions. So, Steve, is the junior ISA good news for savers? Well, Alice, I suppose it piggybacks on what has been one of the most successful savings schemes of decades, really, the ISA. So so in that sense, it's good, but we don't have a huge amount of detail yet. We do know that the child will own the money, that it's aimed at parents being able to put money into into a tax-efficient environment for the child, and the child won't be able to get the money till adulthood. We don't know the amount. It's likely, though, I think, to be a few thousand pounds, the annual contribution limits, um, investable in cash or stocks and shares as currently. But importantly, it won't have any government contributions. And while some people knocked the small scale of those vouchers, you'll recall sort of £250, £500 in some cases, I think coming down to £50 now in the the run up to the end of the the CTF scheme Mm. at the end of this year, that actually cost all of us, the government, as, as part of the, the deficit pot, if you like, hundreds of millions of pounds a year. So while the government's saying it wants to encourage this thing, it's not doing much in the way of uh, subsidising it. Mm. So it's hoping that these junior ISAs will encourage parents to save for their children. Is there nothing else in place apart from the child trust funds? Presumably parents can still save for children at the moment if they want to. Yes, I mean, the common way is through something called a bare trust. Um, but, I mean, while many 
FT readers and listeners may have heard these things. I think the mass market is not aware of these things, the bear as in naked trust, literally. So, I mean, it's not the same as the teddy bear account as such <laughs> that you'll hear some of these things described as. But so, so there are complications around it, but essentially it's a structure that enables the child to be the beneficiary of the money, but the parents to control it, which obviously is a key issue here. That one of the criticisms, of course, of the CTF scheme was that uh, the child would suddenly get to uh, adulthood or young adulthood and suddenly be able to blow all the cash. The, uh, the underlying thinking behind the scheme, of course, is to set the child up for life, possibly to help them uh, pay for their tertiary education, university education, or at least sort of set them on the road when they start work. And of course, um, with an ISA, you can save into cash or equities. Um, and if you're saving for a child, equities is probably going to make a bit more sense because of the long term growth. Um, but things aren't looking that rosy for cash accounts in general at the moment, are they? Paying very low rates of interest. No, you? you're right. I mean, cash accounts now, we're, we're nearly two years into a base rate being at its record low of 0.5%. Um, and there was new research out this week from which magazine, the, cons- the old Consumers Association, saying that um, one quarter of all accounts, of, of, of the 1,200 savings accounts out there, now pay 0.1% or less on and, and on a substantial balance of £5,000. Um, so, and half of all accounts pay 0.5% or less. So there are a hell of a lot of accounts out there that aren't paying very much at all. Is there anything you can do about that? Presumably there are a few accounts that are paying decent rates? Of course, yeah. I mean, which possibly inevitably says, well, the banks and building sites should be doing more to tell people about the poor rates they're getting and actively encouraging them to switch to the better rates where, of course, as, as you can get up nearly 3% instant access and as much as 4.5% if you're prepared to lock your money away in a fixed rate bond for up to five years. Um, so actually very good rates at a time when base rate is only 0.5. Um, but realistically, yes, it's about savings just doing it for themselves, really, um, which has got an interesting little tool that ha- enables you to find out the rate on your account. So you've gone to its website. Um, but generally, just being a little bit more proactive uh, would help, And um, which reckons the savings, the average, the average improvement in interest people could get is more than £300. Mm. So worthwhile. Yeah, worthwhile. And so if you're saving for yourself or for your child, um, junior ISAs are coming in from next uh, autumn, I think. Um, best to look around for the best deals on the market. Thanks for that, Steve. And for more on where to find the best cash rates, look out for Steve's article in this weekend's FT Money with The Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show is silver, the new gold. First, though, prime property. News this week showed that the number of million pound property sales has more than doubled over the past year, according to research from Halifax. There were 2,992 million pound property sales in Great Britain in the first six months of this year, 118% higher than in the same period last year. The largest growth in million pound property sales was in London, with a rise of 134% from the year before. So Tanya, where is all this demand coming from? Well, it's quite interesting when you actually start to look down into the regional breakdown of those figures that Halifax have provided. Obviously, Greater London has been the kind of had the most kind of um, number of million pound sales, and it's actually had about one thousand eight hundred eighty sales, apparently, according to Halifax. And when you look at other areas of um, of the UK, I mean, you've got places like 
um, the East Midlands, which has only seen 14 sales in the first half of this year. And then you look down further and you've got Wales and, and the north of England that have only had three million pound um, property sales. So you kind of see how it's really the concentration is on London. And I think a lot of that's down to the fact that it's the demand from overseas buyers we're seeing. Um, I've got Alan, Adam here. Um, is that something you guys have seen across um, your agency in the Hamptons? I mean, is it the overbuyers demand? Driving it? Y- yes, very much so. Um, the the international buyer profile has has really um, really become quite quite a strong prevalent part of the market, um, in particular since the, since the downturn uh, where when when the pound sterling began to devalue, that created a, a real opportunity for international buyers to to access uh, the top properties, the the prime properties in in London and across the south. Uh, so that's something that we we've certainly picked up across across our network, and you see that uh, in particular with dollar or dollar pegged buyers. So that would be Middle East, Hong Kong, Chinese, so with, with the Wan um, buyers that really have have a strong affinity with with owning property and and developing property portfolios, and certainly see London as a as a great place to to park that money. And a lot of agents have been saying that it tends to be the top end of the market that they're particularly looking at. So properties over ten million pounds, um, <coughs> for, for example. Um, well, I think it, it certainly it certainly varies quite a bit. You, we see quite a bit of demand from um, buyers that are looking to uh, perhaps uh, put put down um, put down property on behalf of their children who are coming here for for school. Uh, so, as a part of uh, part of that plan, there's there's certainly investment demand, which is straight out for perhaps lower value properties, but in um, in bulk purchases or in multiples, um, we see quite a bit of that as well from international buyers. But uh, at the top end, um, it it very very much is an international uh, market, and I think uh, our, our current research suggests that it's somewhere about eighty ninety percent of, of buyers at the very top end of the market, which um, which are accessing uh, which are accessing prime property. Steve, <coughs> um, Adam, how fussy are these international buyers? Because I've got a I've got a nice property, but it's somewhat shambolic. As you won't be surprised, <laughs> you won't be surprised to hear. So, I mean, do they get fussy about things like mixer taps? One often hears that Americans are. <laughs> particularly fussy about the bathrooms and so on and think we live like... To know. be perfectly honest, Steve, at, at this level of uh, at the, the very top end, a million plus home, um, people are looking, particularly um, Chinese, Russian buyers, looking uh, towards new build property and very high quality new build property um, as as a way of, of really uh, parking the money and, and that's something they're very uh, comfortable with. You would find continental buyers are typically more... Um, uh, have a strong affinity towards uh, historic properties and uh, a bit more character. So you would find uh, those buyers looking towards um, uh, perhaps more traditional Georgian Victorian terraces. Nonetheless, the modern standards uh, all have to be uh, fully fully uh, kitted out. There isn't really uh, an opportunity for the, the, the same, same volume of money going towards uh, renovation in that sense. I think uh, certainly international buyers are looking to, to have fully kitted out uh, and finished and ready to go top quality properties. And what, what's the outlook for um, the kind of you know properties over one million um, plus? I mean, are we going to see that demand continue? Certainly, it uh, is being driven to a large degree by the currency exchanges that I mentioned earlier. And expectations are that the sterling will remain devalued. Although, of course, at the moment we've got a bit of a, a global, almost a currency war. And so, where that nets out, I think, will tell you a lot about where uh, the demand for internationals and in, in buying in prime central London will go. Having said that, we certainly believe the fundamentals of uh, of London are robust as an economy. Uh, we've seen strong indication that uh, where the price is right. 
rates. Uh, certainly, buyers are, are still very active in the market. Uh, in particular, we've seen a small surge, if you like, in very, very high-value country home properties. And I think that has a little bit to do with maybe some uh, some market hesitation at the moment and um, international buyers recognizing that there's a real, real window of opportunity now, uh, which may close in the next, uh, say, three to six months as, as the, the economy begins to, to gain its, its firmer footing. And are we going to see city bankers start to come back? Well, certainly the, the estimates at the moment are for, I believe, it's seven billion uh, pounds uh, in, in bonus money this, this time round. Uh, that always has, um, has found its way into prime property, the, the good quality, mature stock in, in prime centre London and, and in, the, in the wider sort of south, southwest of London. So invariably that will um, continue to, to, to prop up and support uh, the, that, that part of the market. And as long as I think those bankers um, and wider financial business services employees are feeling uh, strong and comfortable about their jobs, as they should, um, we expect that to continue. Great. Thanks for that, uh, Tanya and Adam. And for full details of what is happening in the prime property market, check out the FT Money section this weekend and our website, ft.com forward slash money. Finally today is silver, the new gold. With the gold price continually hitting new highs, rising over $1,300 an ounce, some people fear it could now be overvalued. Investors have been flocking to the precious metal since the credit crunch in search of a safe haven for their cash. But with other metals showing similar rises in value, might it be better to look at silver or even palladium? Ellen, do you think the gold party is over? Well, a lot of people are speculating now that the price of gold looks a bit toppy um, and uh, you're seeing... Uh, a resurgence of interest in silver, particularly among investors who uh, don't have, you know, $1,300 to spend on a troy ounce of gold. And silver's of much better value. It's considered the poor man's gold. And its price has also risen about 40%, more than 40% this year. And it's now at more than $22 an ounce. So that looks quite attractive. And it has a lot of the defensive properties that gold has, especially at a time when um, we're facing the prospect of currency wars and people are just losing interest in, in, or they're just worried about paper money in general. Um, So yes, I I think you should definitely investigate the wider market for precious metals. Hmm. Does silver have the prospect of going up in value? I mean, you said it's only $22 an ounce, which sounds pretty cheap compared to gold. Uh, Yeah, no, there's definitely some further upside in it as well. Um, There's another terrific bet right now that a lot of people are talking about is palladium. And Mm. that is because um, it, in addition to having the defensive properties of a precious metal, it's also uh, used in um, catalytic converters and cars. And everybody thinks that demand for cars is going to surge in the emerging world. And in China, when people start to buy, ordinary Chinese start to buy more cars and stuff, and this will just create this massive demand for palladium. Um, So we've seen palladium prices actually rise to more than $570 a troy ounce. So there's, there's even, there's, there's a lot of enthusiasm for silver still, but there's even more enthusiasm for palladium. Mm. And I mean, that's interesting. So you would buy palladium because it's more a kind of an emerging market story. It's about cars. So it's not, if you were to buy these alternative metals to gold, would it not be for the same reasons that investors buy gold, which is usually for security, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a feeling now that people want tangible assets and, you know, they're going into art, they're going into commodities, they're going into, you know, there's still some interest in the property market. You know, there's there's this kind of uh, feeling that, you know, demand from emerging markets is going to buy the um, commodities market 
for years to come. So these are very good bets, and the price of gold should trade at a, within this trading range for some time to come, and so should these other precious metals as well. Hmm. In terms of how to get access um, to some of these metals, I know that with gold you can actually buy physical gold and store it in a vault at a bank, or you can just buy an exchange-traded fund. Is it the same options on offer if you want to buy silver or palladium? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. You can buy the actual uh, metal itself. Um, palladium is very popular now. And for example, my our engagement ring is made of palladium. <laughs> but um, no, you cannot just go and buy it You know, for, through a dealer. You can buy into an exchange-traded fund. And there's been a surge of interest in palladium-backed exchange-traded funds. Mm, great. So look out for possible um, future engagement rings in palladium rather than gold. Thanks for that, <laughs> Ellen. And if you'd uh, like to know more about silver or other metals, look out for Ellen's article in FT Money this weekend. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve, Tanya, Ellen and our special guest, Adam Chalice from Hamptons International. Goodbye. goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 